Well, good afternoon, everybody. All right, you guys are the most awake crowd, so we thank you for that. You got more sleep than everybody else, but we're so glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. My name is Danny Rivers. If you weren't here earlier, I'm one of the pastors here at Life Point Church, and we are so, so, so glad that you're here today with us. A couple things before I jump into the message. You just heard about our 300th year anniversary. Um, our city is 300 years old um, as a city, and we are going to do our part to join our city and our community um, to celebrate that. And so what's going to happen is May 1st, through May 6th, we are going to be serving all across the city um, with the San Antonio Food Bank, um, the Salvation Army, uh, Agora, which is a ministry downtown dedicated to helping kids in under-resourced areas, and then our partnership school, Huppert's Elementary. We're going to be serving them all week, serving at the San Antonio Food Bank, who we partnered with for many, many years now. Um, and it's going to be a blast. And then most of you who are from San Antonio, um, you know that May 5th is Cinco de Mayo, which is uh, a big deal here in San Antonio. It's not big everywhere else necessarily, but it's a big deal here. And so we're going to have on May 6th, because everybody's going to blow it on May 5th, we're going to have church on May 6th so everybody can kind of make it right. Can I get an amen on that, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but on May 6th, we are going to celebrate our city um, in a big, big way, and particularly the parts of our city that make us who we are as a city, our legacy, our, our heritage as a city. And so, like, for instance, um, we're going to have mariachis here. We're going to have, instead of donuts, which is what we feed people in the mornings, which is very healthy, by the way, we're very concerned about all of your healths. Um, anyway, but we're going to do sweetbreads. We're going to have local artists here doing artwork. Um, it, it's going to be fun. There'll be some songs in Spanish. I won't sing them. I grew up on the west side and all I know is bad words. You know what I'm saying? I'm, by the way, anybody here from, like you're born and raised in San Antonio? Just, uh, yeah, yeah. Like five of us. All right. I don't know if you've noticed, those of you who are from here, nobody's from here anymore. You know what I'm saying? But those of us who are from San Antonio, we are loud and we are proud of our city. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of you joined us as soon as you got wise to the fact of how cool our town is. We welcome you. You're welcome here. Um, but we're going to really have a great time and, and a lot of fun with that. Um, happy Easter, everybody. And um, Easter is really one of the, the best times on the calendar for us as a church, um, mostly because we get to see some folks that we only see twice a year, Christmas and Easter, right? Uh, but if that's you, man, we're so happy you're here. And, and listen, we get it. Those of you who are only come for Easter and Christmas, you're like, dude, I, I'm not coming any more times because you guys always preach about the same two things every time I come, right? It's like you only know two things. But listen, we actually know more than two things. And next week, uh, right there in your chair, there is a uh, card. Mine's underneath my thing here. And uh, this is our series next week. And we're going to be doing some songs that uh, are, are sort of popular. And next week, a song called Million Reasons. Our band's going to perform live. And then... Um, more, more importantly than the songs is the messages that are going to come along with those I think are going to be very, very helpful. So if you only believe that we know two messages, come back next week and we'll prove to you that we know three. We know three of them. Um, so yeah, we're glad you're here. And I, I, I love Easter for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that um, it's just a great weekend to attend church. Uh, and whether you're here because grandma threatened you or somebody promised you lunch or it was a pretty girl that said, if you'll come, I'll go out with you. Whatever your reasons are for being here, it, it's a good thing because Easter is um, one of the weekends where we talk about the one thing that kind, of, um, that kind of helps with objections that people have about faith, about Jesus, about Christianity. And, and, and totally, I totally get it. And nobody, nobody's disparaging you if you have doubts um, we all have doubts. Um, and, and here's what I, I mean about Easter being a great week. 
like even if you've never considered uh, Jesus or becoming a, a follower of Jesus and you're like, nah, dude, you know, I'm here because I, I promised somebody I would. This is not my thing. And, 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 and maybe like your arms aren't crossed on the outside, but they're crossed on the inside. You're like, I'm not doing a Jesus thing today, right? Um, like I would like to challenge you to think about um, becoming a Christian, even in spite of the fact that you know someone, you're like, uh-uh, I'm not going to become one of those guys, you know? Like, in spite of the fact that you used to work for one or that you grew up around a bunch of them and they were all hypocrites or, or, or in spite of a bad church experience, I want you to consider, like, even, even if some college professor sort of pulled the cards out and you're like, ah, they, all of it fell down, I don't believe any of that anymore, it's just a myth. Like, even if that's your experience, I want you to consider it. Even though... You may have had some serious pain in your life where you were like, man, if there is a God, like where was he in those moments? Or, or maybe you had an experience where you prayed a prayer when you were a child for your mom who was sick or your dad and, 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 they did, and God didn't answer it and they died. And, and you're like, well, how could God? And you know, why would? And, and in spite of all of those very, very difficult questions, as a matter of fact, in spite of all of your questions, many of which, frankly, I cannot answer. I can't answer every question that people have. And, and the questions that you may never get answered in this lifetime, I would like you to consider, at least consider, becoming a follower of Jesus because of Easter. Now, let me, let me dig that out for a minute. There, there, I was thinking about this. There, there really is no plausible explanation for how Christianity survived the very first century when it was birthed, apart from what we celebrate at Easter. Like, think about it like this. There are billions of people who this weekend are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who lived for about 33 years, but who only went public with his sort of public exposure for about three years or, or so, and who never traveled more than, a, than about 30 miles from his ancestral home, who never wrote a book, who never gave a speech that was broadcast to the nations and, and archived on the internet, right? And yet, over one-third of the world's population on this weekend are going to gather in his name, and they're going to lift up their hearts and their hands and, and, and express worship to God. And they're going to sing some of the same songs we're singing in, in languages that you've never heard of, much less understand. And they've all dedicated their lives to this Jesus Christ. And there's no plausible explanation as to why that happened except what we celebrate on Easter. Think about it this way. If I say the name Nero, right, who was a... Roman emperor, you may have heard of this guy. But most of you, um, the average person can't tell me anything he did except that, oh, oh yeah, he's the dude that fed Christians to lions. So that historically speaking for the average person, Nero, an emperor of the Roman Empire, is merely a footnote in the story of Christianity. Okay, how about Caesar Augustus? You ever heard of this guy? He was the first Roman uh, 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 Caesar. And, 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 and I don't know if you knew that or not, but you don't know anything about Caesar except that he has this little pizza joint that's surprisingly cheap and very good, actually. Come on, am I right? Like, that's who, he, Caesar, oh, yeah, he's got the pizza joint. Yeah, pizza, pizza, that guy. Oh, yeah, I remember that guy. That's what you know about him, am I right? So, so just as an FYI, Easter 
isn't the celebration of Christianity. It's not the celebration of even the teachings or the miracles of Jesus, and they were many. Easter is the celebration of a very specific event that differentiates itself because of this event from all of the other world religions. See, Christianity did not arise from these wonderful ethical teachings. It was not evolved from a meaningful philosophy of life. It was not the result of wishful thinking. It was not born out of a, of a mistaken autopsy report, right? The disciples were really clear on what happened to Jesus. And Christianity exists because an event that we celebrate this Easter weekend called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, there are a lot of people in our world who, who doubt the veracity of the, the resurrection, who, who, who would consider it a kind of myth, especially around this time of year when all of these TV shows pop up and all of these documentaries come, and many of them with a bent towards disproving it. And, and, and so I, I get it. I get why people have doubts about it. I totally get it. But I'd like you to consider it today. And I want to offer you on what I believe are three truths about the resurrection. This isn't, this isn't a primer on the resurrection. This is just three things that if you have doubts, maybe you doubt your doubts and not your faith. Three things. Number one, the resurrection really happened. Now, now let me tell you why it's important for me to make that case. Because in our day, often there's a, there's a kind of idea floating around about Eastern. And it's, it's promulgated all throughout um, social, popular media, and, 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 and it goes something like this. Jesus probably existed historically. He was probably a real person who was a, a, a phenomenal teacher, apparently. He had all of these, I've read some of his stuff. You know, he has all of these wonderful moral, moral things. He was probably a very good man, deeply inspirational, obviously. He had a great following of people, but at the end of the day, he was just a man. Like, in, in whatever was happening in his life and in his story, it all happened at a, an explainable, natural human level and nothing more. And that, like when he died, all of his friends and all of his close followers, he was very charismatic, he had a lot of people who followed him, so they, they loved him and they missed him, and some of the folks started feeling like his spirit was still, you know, lingering around, like, hey, I think I saw him the other day, you know, ghost-like, you know, and, and, and they felt this sense of his, of his presence. So, that turned into these mythical stories about a resurrection, kind of a vision stuff, kind of folkloric in nature. But because in the ancient world, people aren't like us. They didn't have science. They didn't have all the things that we have now. They were sort of naive. And, and some of them took it literally, and some of them took it seriously, and they shouldn't have. And so these really these stories about the resurrection should just be seen as symbolic. Like they're, they're just stories about the power of hope or or how even when somebody's gone, they have a way of, their lives have a way of reemerging and influencing and impacting people's lives. But, but the thing about all of that, see, is that there were eyewitnesses present to all of these events. And the writers of the Gospels, and the Gospels are the four first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of these men endeavored to write the story of what they saw, what they heard, what the eyewitnesses that they interviewed had seen and heard. And that's how all these came to be. And, and so this is from Mark. Mark is one of the followers of Jesus. And, and he says in chapter 15 of his, his story, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, this is a lot of detail now, 
was passing by and they forced him, Simon, to carry the cross. So Jesus has been whipped unmercifully, bleeding, crown of thorns, lots of blood loss. He's carrying his heavy, heavy cross up the Via Della Rosa and he's becoming weakened by it to the extent that they say, hey, you, Simon, uh, 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 he's one of the passers-by. He's, he's one of the onlookers. They're like, hey, you, you carry it the rest of the way. And so Mark notes that there's this man named Simon, but Simon, very common name in, in ancient Israel, kind of like John or, or Danny, very popular name like Danny. Kinda, kinda, at least it's popular to me and my mom, apparently. Uh, anyways, um, so he, he wants to distinguish him from all of the other Simons, and there are a lot of them even in the, in the, in the biblical text. The, the, the particular Simon, he says, is the one that was from Cyrene. And then to make it clear even further who he's talking about, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's the father of Alexander and that dude, Ruf, remember Rufus? What a great name, Rufus, right? Rufus, right? Anyways, and, and you're like, who are these guys? Like, we don't even know Nero. We don't, know, we don't even know Caesar, Augustus. But why in the world would Mark include this much detail? Why Alexander? Why Rufus? We don't know these guys. It's precisely because they would have become part of the Christian community and they were still alive when Mark has, is writing his gospel. And Mark is understood to be the first of the gospels written, the earliest of them. And interestingly enough, nobody else, none of the other writers include Marcus, or, 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 I mean, uh, Rufus and Alexander and you know, Simon. Um, but, but, but Mark does because Mark knows these guys and Mark knows that other people who are going to read this account, they knew these guys. And so he's like, listen, even if you don't believe me, these guys were alive. They saw it for themselves. Go ask, go ask Rufus. Go ask Alexander. Even if you don't believe me, this happened and it matters. And so he writes it with great detail. Then we see this dynamic in, of eyewitness testimony in a, in a very striking way in all four of the Gospels. Um, Ma- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and in each case, in all four of these Gospels, the first eyewitnesses at the empty tomb are women, right? Women are always getting there first to everything. Come on, can I get an amen? Right? That was a great opportunity, man, for you to score some points, and you missed it. You blew that, right? Next time, get that right. right I'm kidding. We tend not to think about the fact that there were women that were first there in our day, right? But this would have been a very striking detail in the ancient world because in ancient Rome, women were not regarded, generally speaking, as credible witnesses. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't put them as being there first if you were making up a story because it's a bad look. They were not seen as credible in ancient Israel or ancient Rome. They were not allowed to serve as eyewitnesses in, in most courts of law. But men, of course, they, they were seen as, as better or higher than, than, than in, the, in the ancient t- times. And so when Luke writes, Luke writes uh, this, this detail, he, he, he goes, he's talking about the resurrection. He says, it was Mary Magdalene. Now notice these names, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, a second Mary, and the others with them, who told this about the resurrection, who told this to the the apostles. But they, the men, the apostles, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to the men like nonsense. Ladies, can you believe that there was a time when men were slow to take women seriously? Could you believe there's a time like this? Failures, all. So the women come to these guys and go, hey, dudes, fellas, 
And this isn't not even spouses. Like they're like just dudes that they know they're part of the faith. And they're like, Jesus Christ is risen. And the, and the men are like, fake news, man. They were saying fake news all the way back in those days. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and it wasn't until some of the men actually go run, they, they ran to the tomb and they see that it's empty for themselves. And they're like, whoa. And they start to take this, this thing seriously. Now here's the point. If the stories of the resurrection were just made-up stories, trying to convince gullible people along the way about some higher truth, they would have never included women as the first eyewitnesses because that just wasn't done. You just didn't do that. And, and the only reason women are listed as eyewitnesses uh, is that, in fact, they were eyewitnesses. So in, in ancient eyewitness literature like this one is, like all of these stories, and I could keep going, um, they, they, they kind of play a role like a footnote does in, in our modern literature, which gives credibility and credence. Like you can go look it up for yourself. If you don't believe, here's proof, here's footnote evidence that this happened. And, and names were listed just like, not only in the Bible, but all throughout ancient literature, they were, they were, they were listed like that. So, so that whatever you, you think about it, he is risen is not a statement of some vague hope that they had. It was written as a matter of fact. It was clearly understood to be a claim rooted in reality. And this is why Peter, when and he's one of the followers that were there, he, he's quite explicit in Acts chapter 2 when he's preaching his first message uh, after the resurrection. He says, hey, listen to the crowd gathered. God raised this Jesus to life. And we are, he says, not not." not bearers of a fairy tale, not, 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 not sharers of a mystical feeling. He says, we are witnesses of this fact. Like we were there. Like we saw this with our own eyes. And, and, and whatever you may think of these accounts, they are presenting the resurrection of something that literally happened. Why? Because of our next truth that I want to share with you today. And that is this, that the resurrection changed Everything, like, like it turned everything upside down. Matter of fact, it's the hinge of history. We, to this day, we date the human history by the life of that one man who lived, who died, and who rose again. Like he changed everything. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. Hope wins. Hell loses. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, and he's changed everything. Amen, somebody? And, and had it not been, here's what I want you to understand. Had it not been for this event, there would be no Christianity. Because on, on, on what we call Good Friday, when Jesus died, the movement died with him. All of the guys, they all went home. They went back to fishing. They went back to tax collecting. They left and they're like, it's over. There was no movement. It died. On Friday, it was dead along with the Messiah. And had it not been for the resurrection, there would be no Christianity as we know it now because it would have died in that moment. But, but the fact that it took shape in the way and at the speed and with, the, with, the, with the, that incredible nature in which it has not only taken over the world in those days, but has taken over the world in our day, right, it is because the tomb really was empty. And, and people really did meet Jesus alive after his death. And because they saw that, and because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, it turned the world upside down, the Bible says. It's the only plausible reason why the disciples immediately go out after that 
And they start to preach and teach, not, not the principles of Jesus, not the teachings or the sayings or the parables of Jesus. They go out and preach his resurrection. And they do this, please hear this, they do this in the face of grave danger to themselves because there are people hunting them now for their association with Jesus. And, and, and they do so uh, in the face of grave danger and they were arrested and they were beaten and they were put on trial over and over again. Paul was put on trial over and over again and eventually many of them were killed for this message. Like, like at some point, if it's just a hoax that they're perpetuating, you'd think they'd get sick. Like, dude, I am sick of getting arrested and beaten up. I'm done, man. I'm, <laughs> you guys keep going with the hoax. I'm going fishing, right? I'm playing golf, dude. I'm tired of getting beat up. Like, come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, at some point, you learn lessons the painful and hard way, and you're like, okay, I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. And you would think that this would be the dynamic here. Um, so, because n- nobody signs up for the sufferings and the persecution and the eventual martyrdom, um, which the disciples did as a matter of historical record, not just biblical record, but historical record, to perpetuate a hoax, a myth that they know is false. Nobody says, yeah, I'll die for, a fa- for fake news. Nobody does this. Just think about that. And then there's this other detail, which I really love. And I could keep going on, but I'm going to stop with this one. Years later, when they begin to assemble their story and, and to write it and to, and to interview people, to put their stories, they actually write themselves into the story as cowards, these men do. Right? <laughs> They're like, they actually say, like, when the heat was on Jesus, we all ran away. We took off. We, like, we denied him. We acted like he wasn't real. And matter of fact, we didn't even believe him because he told us he was going to die. He told us he was going to rise up on the third day. And when the ladies came to tell us, we were like, fake news. We didn't even believe him. Not only were we cowards, but we didn't even believe the guy we were following around for three years. We didn't believe him, and we were cowards. Like, like if you have the opportunity to write somebody else's story, and you're going to put yourself in it, come on, you, you're going to know. You're, like, you're going to make all the other dudes look bad, but you're like, not Danny. Danny was awesome. He was rock solid. He was there the whole time. Peter, John, James, losers. Right? You're gonna, if you're writing a fake story, you're going to make yourself look good. Like You don't make yourself look like, I'm the coward of this story. The cowardly lion. That was me, right? And so they run when the heat is on. And why would they willingly put that detail in there? Except that if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, at at some point you're just like, hey, dude, we're going to just do whatever that guy says. We're just going to roll how that brother rolls. You know what I'm saying? Right? And, and, And so Jesus rises from the dead, and these men who had been cowardly and timid and afraid are changed on the other side of the resurrection and they receive, I don't know how else to describe it, but this massive jolt of of boldness and courage to the extent that they go into the streets, Acts tells us, and they begin to preach and teach a four-part message. And point number one, Peter's like, point number one is, hey, everybody, there was thousands of people there. Point number one, you guys killed him. Imagine if I led with that today. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. You guys are a bunch of murderers. But this is what he does. Now remember, these are the very people who a couple of weeks before were going, crucify him, crucify him. They were responsible. They were liable for what happened to Jesus. And this is Peter, scared Peter, runaway Peter, deny deny Jesus. This is the same guy. And, And he says, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And how do we know? 
We, we were witnesses. We were witnesses to it. And as Peter begins to preach his message in Acts chapter 2 to the thousands and thousands of people who were gathered there for the Passover, who were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover, as he begins to preach, and he goes all the way from the prophets, and he goes all the way to the current time, all of a sudden something starts to stir in the hearts of these people to the extent that they realize that to know and to love and to follow this man, Jesus, is the greatest opportunity ever presented to humankind. And it, and it remains so to this day. But they, they know we've missed it. We blew it. We were part of this. We were culpable in this whole thing. And, and, and we're just throwing our lives away on what? On success and reputation and wealth and comfort and fame or whatever silly thing it is that all of us are tempted to just drift in, into giving our lives to. So that at the end of his message, in a moment of, of clarity, of, of, of moral sanity, they're cut to the heart, the Bible says. Like, is there nothing we can do? Is it too late for us? And they say, literally, they say, what, what do we do? And in response to this, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this word, this word repent is an interesting word. It just means I'm going to cough because of the yellow stuff floating around in the air out there. You guys with me on that? Repent just means start again, fresh start. Make a fresh start. Turn around. Like you're going this direction, turn around, go the other direction. Like, like. Practically speaking, it's like when I repent, I, I, I'm saying I, I realize, God, that there is nothing I can do to save myself. I, I can't even manage my own life. I, I have willpower to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing over and over again. I end up treating people the wrong way. I end up saying things. I end up doing the wrong things. And, and I don't want to come before a holy God based on my own merit. Would you... Would you come and save me? Would you come and help me? That's repentance. I don't want you to remember that. <clears throat> because in response to Peter's message, 3,000 people give their lives and their heart to Jesus and get baptized on that day. 3,000. Like, like, like on my best day, I, I maybe get three. You know what I'm saying? Like 3,000 people respond to this message of repentance. Because it changed everything. They had never had this kind of traction before the disciples until post-resurrection because the resurrection changed everything. And then thirdly, and this is where I just want to make it real for you because I've been kind of making a case for the resurrection, but, but the, the, the third truth is that the resurrection is not just history. It's not just an explanation. It, it's deeply personal. It has serious implications for those who will take it serious. <clears throat> so, like whatever is going on in your life, um, we all have these moments in life where, particularly, particularly if you're a parent and you remember when your children were born where you're like just overwhelmed with the wonder of birth and how it's incredible that we're born. But, but, at, but as you age and as life starts to happen and real life starts to take hold, there, there's a sense that, hey, you know what? Someday <clears throat> there's an end to all of this. Someday I, I'm going to die the biblical writers talk about this a lot. There is this book in the New Testament um, called The Letter to the Hebrews, and, and the writer talks about this dynamic, and he says, just as people are destined to die once, 
and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear, he says. He will, he's going to show up to bring salvation, which is deliverance or healing or forgiveness, to those who are waiting for him, uh, ostensibly to those who are looking for him. Right? Are you looking for him? Are you waiting for him? That's what he's saying. And here's the truth about you and the truth about me that many of us have had some incredible moments in our lives, some serious wow moments in our lives. But, But the biggest wow moment of your existence hasn't happened to you yet. I don't care how old you are, what kind of fun, amazing life you've lived. The most amazing moment of your existence will happen the moment after you die. The moment. Like we don't want to talk about that much, and we're like, hey, man, it's Easter. What are we going to talk about? You know, death. And can't we just talk about Easter eggs and go have some steak after this? Like, well, we got to talk about it, especially on Easter, because it will come to everybody. There's this, there's this old, old story about this little kid who runs out of his room, you know, frantically to his mom. And, and he says, Mom, is it, is it true what that pastor said at the, at the funeral the other day that, that it, from dust we are made and from dust we return? She's like, yes, yes, that's true. Why, why do you ask? And he says, well, I was just looking under my bed right now and somebody's either coming or going down in there. <laughs> and you know this, right? Your whole house is filled with people coming and going right now. Ladies, come on, am I right? You get it. But here's the truth. Somebody's always either coming or going. That's just true, isn't it? And this moment will come into your life when your life will be over and then something amazing will happen. There's two options, really. Either you will see God in the most joyful of ways or, the Bible says, you will face an eternity without God. But God doesn't want anybody to face that. As a matter of fact, Peter goes on and writes a letter later on. And he says, it's not God's will that anybody should perish or that anybody should be apart from God. Jesus talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that that he gave his, his only son that whoever would believe, whoever would put faith and trust in him will not perish but have everlasting life, that God doesn't want anybody to face eternity apart from him. And so he says, hey, listen, I will give you my grace and and I will give you my love and I will give you my forgiveness and I'll do it free of charge for all of the stuff that you've ever done wrong, all the stuff that you ever will do wrong. I want to pay it for you. I want to pay the price of that for you. And I'll be part of your life every moment that you live. And then when you die, you can be with me forever throughout all eternity. That the moment when you die, if you choose the way of Jesus, if you choose the way of grace, not only will you be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but you'll be celebrating the resurrection of you. All because of the love that was displayed on the cross. All because of the power of the resurrection. There's this real important statement in the Bible. It's from a guy named Paul, the apostle, and he writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, for it is by grace that you are saved. It's by grace. Without it, you, you can't be. And then he says, and through faith, meaning faith is the vehicle. Grace is, is, the, is, is what saves, and faith is the vehicle. You have to have faith. 
And he says, this is not from yourselves. Like, you, you didn't earn this. It's a gift from God. Not, not by works, not by anything that you can accomplish, not by all the good deeds you could do. He says, if that were the case, then people would boast about it. I don't want anybody to be able to boast, except in the cross of Christ, he says. Now, I'm sure you've noticed that we have this attractive ladder up here, man. It's, it's incredibly ugly, actually, now that I'm looking at it. <clears throat> There's actually a story with this ladder. Apparently, it was the only one we could find. But um, this ladder has been with us since our, from our very existence. We're going to celebrate 10 years this month. And in two weeks from today, as a matter of fact, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary. And this ladder has been with us every step of the way. And it's a funny thing, this ladder. It's like an old dog that every now and then, uh, or an old cat, every now and then it just disappears. And we're like, where'd the green ladder go? And then it'll just suddenly magically appear. That happened this week. We're like, where's the green ladder? Because we needed it for, to do something out front. And they're like, I don't know. And here it is again. It appears. It's like an old cat. It comes in from the woods. It's been out there hunting rabbits or whatever. Now it's back. It's not even ours. There's a name on there right here. It says Roberson. We had a green ladder like this, but somebody took it. But we found this green one in its place. And now we own this. We've stolen it from somebody along the way. They're really bitter about it to this day. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this gift of this green ladder. Now, but I actually have a point here. I, I got to remind myself what it is. Okay. Yeah. I get lost, a little ADD every now and then. I, I want to talk about with this ladder two ways, two different ways of, of, the, of, of the, that people try to save their lives. One of them is the way of performance. Paul calls this works. You're not saved by performance or works. The other one is the way of grace, which is represented by this cross. And the two ways that people try to save their lives. In, in the Bible, saved is always sort of equated to being healed or to being delivered or to being rescued. And I don't know about you, man, but I, I need that. All through my life, I've needed to be rescued. All through my life, I've needed to be set free. Not just when I first came to Jesus, but all through my life. and Set free from aloneness or healed from guilt or pain or shame or things that I've done or things that have been done to me. And then for me, as I get older, just this fear of my life not having any meaning. Like, I'm going to have lived and died, and my life won't have counted for much. Like, that's a thing that I need to be healed from, that God has a plan, that God wants to do things with my life. We all need this. And one of the most common ways that we try to kind of save our lives or to validate our existence is that I'm going to pr prove my, my existence or validate it by climbing up some ladder of success or of accomplishment or an accumulation of things or of money or maybe it's I'm going to climb to the top of the ladder so I can prove how great I am to the person who dumped me, the, the ex or, or my parents who, who, who said I was a mistake and I want to validate my life and existence by climbing this ladder to prove to them once and for all I'm worth something. And when we all end up putting on top of this ladder that we're trying to climb our, our success, money, accomplishments, our well-being, and over time, whatever I put at the top of the list is whatever I devote my life to. It's whatever I give my life to. And, and eventually that thing starts to become a kind of master to me. It happens all the time. And it creates all sorts of damage and all sorts of baggage in our lives. And this is why some people are addicted to certain things. And this is why some people have a whole litany of baggage and, and pain and, and hurts and, 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 and pain along the way. All because of this, this dynamic right here. But, but into all of this, and I can't speak for you, I can only speak for me, but into all of my mess and all of my darkness that's been in my life comes Jesus. And he brings grace, he offers grace. The latter is one way, but grace is another way. 
This is not saving yourself. This is not being good enough. This is not being worthy or deserving. It's not pretending like we don't have issues, even sin issues. Grace is not a ladder I climb up. Grace is a ladder that Jesus comes down to me to rescue me. And he says, now the offer of being forgiven for all of your sins, past, present, future, the offer of being able to have a fresh start, to have purpose in this life and hope beyond death. I want to give it to you as a gift, freely. You know, when Jesus was hanging on that cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. You know what he meant by that? Not just that his life was done, but that all the work that you and I would ever have need to have done on our behalf, he did it right then and there. It was done. So Christianity spelled, spelled, spelled deep. But most of the other world's religions are spelled do. Do enough. Hope your pile of good outweighs your pile of bad, otherwise you're toast. Am I right? Right? You cannot, with all of your achievements or all of your good works or however you try to climb the ladder, you will never be able to justify your own existence, but you don't have to because that's the way of grace. Paul put it like this. It is God who justifies. It is God who gives evidence of your worth. And then he says, and who is it that condemns? Nobody. God's not got his finger pointed in your face saying, I condemn you. That one symbol right there is the, all that you'll ever need to know that he loves you beyond any shadow of doubt. And my question now is, are you willing to climb off that ladder of whatever it is that you've been trying to put your faith in, whatever it is that you've been trying to put your trust in, and transfer that to the cross? Like, I'm going to come to the cross, and I'm going to acknowledge, God, I cannot do this on my own. My sin, my doubt, my guilt, my, my angst is too great. Would you become the forgiver of it? Would you become the rescue, my rescuer, my redeemer, my savior? Would you come and live your life in me? That's grace, and grace happens, and it can happen for anyone in this moment, right here, right now. So, so maybe you came into this room today on the fence about faith, about Jesus, about resurrection. Maybe you're just here because somebody told you you needed to come. Maybe you've been on the sidelines, but maybe as you're sitting here listening to me, maybe something's changing, something's stirring in your heart. I want you to know that there's no better time than now to say yes to Jesus. And I'd like to invite you to pray along with me if you would like to do that. And this prayer doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a member of our church or you don't join a church of any kind. You're just saying, God, I, I believe that when you died, Jesus, I believe that when you died, not only did you die for the sins of the world, you died for my personal sins. And I want to take, I want to transfer all the stuff that I've been trying to do to make my life count and worthy. I want to transfer whatever I've been putting my trust in, I want to transfer it to the cross of Christ. And this, this cross is the greatest expression of grace that you will ever hear or ever will see. And you can't earn it and you can't deserve it. You just simply receive what has been done on your, on, on your behalf. So would you, would you pray with me? And you can pray however you want. You can pray along with me. You can pray it in your own words. You can pray it in your heart, in your mind. But Jesus, we just come to you, those of us for whom maybe we've been sitting on the fence or maybe we wandered away from our, our faith as children and now we're trying to investigate it again. Or maybe today we just came and, and really you've talked to us. It's like you were talking to just me. I've heard that all day today. I thank you, Lord, that you came and 
that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. And Lord, I want to get off the ladder of, of, of trying to, that I've been trying to climb, justifying my life through how good I am or all of my achievements and all, all the ways that I've tried to justify and prove my worth to whomever I was trying to prove it to. And now I come to your cross and I repent and I just ask you, be the forgiver of my sins. Be the leader of my life. I clean up the mess that I've made with, with, with my life. I can't do it on my own. I need you. And the Bible says that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord and anybody who puts their, their faith and their belief in, in Jesus and, and that he rose from the dead, and they declare that with their mouth. Jesus says, or Paul says, you're, you're saved. You're made right with God in that moment. And you can tell God that now in your own way. God, be the forgiver of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Be the healer of my brokenness. Take my life. I, want, I, I lay it down for you. I want to make an exchange with you, my stuff, God, for the beauty that is your life. And, and real quickly, while nobody's looking around in any form or fashion, would you just slip up your hands real quick? I just want to see, just want to see. Yeah, just keep them up just for a minute. Hands up all over this place. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So many hands. Thank you, thank you so much. Can the rest of us, can we just give them a, a, an incredible hand clap right now? Come on, can we say thank you, God? Amen. God, thank you that you are a grace-giving, sin-forgiving, death-defeating God. We thank you that Jesus Christ is risen, that he's alive, and we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. And everybody said amen.